I don't know if you caught that line, but it said he can move mountains. I don't know what mountain you're facing today, but I bet you, and I'm not normally a lotto playing guy, but I bet you that you've got a mountain in front of you. I don't know what it is. Maybe emotional, maybe spiritual, maybe physical. You may be in pain. You may be fighting a battle. You may be about to give birth. You may be looking for a job. You might be trying to figure out what the next step is in your life. But God can move mountains. And so let me, let me ask you a rhetorical question. But why do bad things happen to good people? I mean, haven't you ever asked yourself that before? The Psalms is filled with David or other writers that said, God, I don't understand my circumstances. I don't understand this mountain in front of me. I don't understand what's going on in my life. Help me. I mean, that's really the psalmist. And then the Psalms also say, why do evil people prosper? You ever ask yourself that? Why do all the crooks get away? Yeah, the dumb crooks get caught. You realize that. The smart ones get away. Some of them become politicians. But we're not even going to go there, are we? We are not going there. But remember, at creation, God ordained man to be king of the earth. He said, to rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky and the cattle and all over the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. That's what we, we're told in Genesis chapter 1. God said, you're, you're and made my image. You are the crown of my creation. You're in charge. But then man decided to abdicate his throne and give it up to Satan, to give it up. And suddenly we've been in chaos ever since, right? We lost our sovereignty over the earth. Our God-given majesty was marred. We lost our innocence. And with the rest of earth, we were cursed with pain in childbirth and a hard life work in the soil. I mean, that's just the way it is. When we lost our dominion, uh, we lost some of our glory. And the control of the earth, power of the air, is Satan. He's, he's got a little dominion going on right now. He's not in charge. God is still orchestrating things. But let me tell you, we live in a fallen world. Is there in your life? Are there trials in your life? Are there mountains to move in your life? Every one of you would say yes, yes, and yes. Is there hardship? Yes. Is there sorrow? Yes. Is there war? Yes. Is there hunger? Yes. Is there not enough money at the end of the month? Yes. All those things happen. The world isn't as God planned it to be. And, and bad things happen and suffering happens. Storms, let me just, storms happen in your life. Do I hear an amen? Yes. You know what I mean then. Now, today we're going to look at a text. You've, it's a popular text. You've heard it before. You've heard it preached before. But I want you to listen to it with fresh ears, fresh eyes, and try to see what's going on in the text. So uh, if you come with a been there, done that attitude to the text, God's not going to speak to your heart. But if you want to, you can open this passage up. So turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8. And let me just set up the scenario. We've been in the book of Matthew for a long time. We're in chapter 8. What has happened? We had the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus offers an invitation. Jesus goes and he cleanses the, the leper. He, he heals the unworthy. He heals the unpretentious. He heals all the unhealthy. And these guys last week came to him and said, Jesus, Jesus, we love you. We think you're awesome. We love your popularity. We want to follow you. And then Jesus shot down every one of their excuses because they really weren't interested in following him. 
And suddenly the crowds are growing. They're swelling. Everybody loves Jesus. He's this miracle worker. He's teaching with authority. And in verse 18 of chapter 8, Jesus instructs very weird, if you want to look at it this way. He orders the disciples, get in the boat, and we're going to head off to the other side. Now, Jesus is going to be in the boat, too. He's going to be in the boat as well. So, uh, do you have your Bibles open? Let's pick it up at verse 23, because that's where we're at. And when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. Verse 24, and behold, there was there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves, but Jesus, oh, he, he is fast asleep. He is just, he is out cold. He is just tired. So everything, here's the, the, the it's not a fill in the blank, but it's the first point. Everything is going fine. Everything is going fine. Heather, can you throw that next slide up there? Everything is going fine, but then something happens. Isn't that like your life? Everything is going along fine, but then. If you want to underline, but then, because something all there's always a, a, a but then. But then something happens. There's a storm that comes down, and you see Jesus's humanity. He's ex- he's asleep. He's exhausted. Now, in another text, it tells us it's at night. Evening has come, so it's dark. Now, these are seasoned fishermen in a boat that they're used to. They're on the Sea of Galilee. Now, Sea of Galilee is, I don't know, if you take I-10 and, and 25 and the 70, and you kind of draw a circle around it, that's the Sea of Galilee. That's the size of the Sea of Galilee. It's not a sea sea. It is a large lake. It's 13 miles wide, or long, and, and 8 miles wide at the, at, at the uh, widest part. And what's unique about this This lake is 650 feet below sea level. So it's way down here. Hills are 2,000 feet high, so there's almost a 3,000 foot difference. And the warm wind comes off of the desert and sweeps down and hits that cool air on the lake. And guess what happens? Storms. Not necessarily with rain, but windstorms. Like we have here sometimes, just wind that's going out of control. And it's interesting that the word for storm in your text, we get the word seismograph from it. It means to shake. It means that the whole lake is just like shaking like this. So the waves are popping over into the boat. And it's not a very big boat. It's a fishing boat. And the waves are breaking into the boat. And these guys have been here before. You've been here before. You know how to handle certain crises in your life. You get out your bucket and you start bailing, right? And that's what these experienced fishermen would have done. doesn't say so in the text, but you know that's what they would have done. And they're bailing. They're, they're, they're chucking water out. But the storm is too much for them. More water is breaking into the boat than is coming out of the boat. And yet Jesus is in this deep sleep noisy, yelling, wet, soaked to the skin. Another parallel passage, it says he's fallen asleep on a little cushion. And Jesus is tired. Now, let's go back to the text. Let's see what happens next. Verse 25. And they went and woke him and said, Save us, Lord. We are perishing. Here's the next It's not fill in the blank, but it's the next slide. It's more than we can handle. 
You know, we handle all the crises in our life okay, but then suddenly there's a crisis where we can't handle it anymore, and it's more than we can handle. And these guys, they, they said probably the smartest thing that they could. Save us, Lord, we're perishing. Isn't that what they said? They went and woke him up saying, Save us, Lord, we're perishing. Greatest prayer in the Bible. You've said it. Lord, save me. Help me. I'm perishing. Tell you what, why don't you say it with me? Save me, I'm perishing. Oh, you guys, you guys failed that one. That was miserable. Think of a situation where you are knee-deep in trouble. There is a massive storm in your life. It could do anything in the past, right now. But what would you cry out to the Lord? Save me. I'm perishing. Right? Now, one, two, three. On the count of three. One, two, three. Save me. I'm perishing. Yeah. How long did they bail water? At what point did they suddenly become conscious and said, this ain't working? How many times have you been doing something stupid and then you finally figured out it ain't working? And you finally said, this ain't working. I need to change. And maybe that's when you had dropped the bucket and you said, Lord, I don't know what I'm doing. I need help. Save me. I'm perishing. Save me. I'm perishing. How long have you bailed water for? With the waves crashing over into your, your, your boat, your circumstances, your life. How long can you tread water? You know what it means to tread water? How, can you tread water indefinitely? No, what are you doing? You're, you're hoping, you're hoping, you're hoping. And finally, at one point in time, you're going to say, Lord, I can't do this on my own anymore. Save me. I'm perishing. I'm perishing. Way too often we say, I can handle this. I can handle this, right? Way too often we rely on our own strength, our own wisdom. I, I don't know why it takes us so long to turn to Jesus. I think sometimes it's out of embarrassment. I was raised with this ethic. I'm not saying it's the right ethic, but I'm saying it's an ethic that I was raised with. I got myself into this trouble. I can get myself out of this trouble. Been there, done that? Have you been raised with that attitude? Instead of realizing that there are some things in this world that are beyond my control. In fact, everything's beyond my control. And really, I don't know if it's the world. I don't know if it's the flesh. I don't know if it's Satan. I don't know if it's just the fallen nature of our world. But I need Jesus all the time. Troubles, trials, tribulations, they happen. And no matter what the source, it's always good to say, save me, I'm perishing. Save me, I'm perishing. Uh, another writer said it this way. They had nowhere else to turn but to Jesus and were exactly where God wanted them to be. Sometimes the Lord has to bring us to a point of absolute desperation before we, he can get our attention. Right? And he did that with the disciples whose boat was about to be swamped and, or turn, torn to pieces. They had run out of human solutions and had only Jesus to turn to. See, people can be healed, comforted, saved from financial ruin, and helped in many other ways. But without God's direct intervention, the person who is not saved has absolutely no resource but the Lord. See, we're so self-sufficient. We live in such a rich country. We can find our way out of things, can't we? 
We can buy our way out of trouble if we got enough money, right? See it all the time. What was Jesus' response? Let's go back to the text. And he said to them, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? I love that Jesus doesn't say, How'd you allow this to happen? He doesn't scold them. He didn't say, Didn't you know better, John? Didn't you? He doesn't say that. He doesn't scold them for the storm or the swamping. He he doesn't scold you for your situation, your trouble, your trial. It just so happens that you have a mountain in front of you or you have a storm in your life. You have a trial. You have a tribulation. The last thing God's going to do is come down and berate you. But he does want you to turn to him, right? He asks, why are you afraid? He connects, catch this, he connects their fear back to their faith. He says, you're afraid, and you shouldn't be. See, the, the word afraid is this word called delios. It has the basic meaning of being a sissy, being a coward, being timid. And so Jesus isn't saying, I understand you have a, 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 this, this huge thing in front of you, this, this storm. But he was really commenting on where their eyes were focused. Where, their, where were their eyes focused on? The waves themselves, right? They weren't focused on the one who was in the boat with them. And so let's connect this fear and this lack of trust with Jesus. It was like, and I'm going to quote another guy. Don't you believe in me? Don't you believe in my power? Haven't you seen enough of my power and experienced enough of my love to know that you are perfectly safe? You're perfectly safe because you're with me. You've seen me perform miracle upon miracle, even on behalf of those who had no faith who never trusted me. You've seen my power and my compassion, and you should know that because of my power, I can help you, but because of my compassion and my great love for you, I will help you. He's kind of, I think Jesus might have been a little hurt that these guys didn't trust him. Even if they were to drown, where were they going? To heaven. They were, they were going to be they were gonna be taken care of. Let's go back to the text. Let's see what happens. So let me pick it up. Let me, let me start at verse 23 to get the whole concept going here. And when he had gotten to the boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves... But he was fast asleep. And they went and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord. We are perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Then he rose. He rebuked the winds and the sea. And there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? The, the fourth caption, if you want to say, is the power and the peace and the puzzlement. Catch the bigness of this miracle. Jesus is healed to death. He's 
gave sight to the blind. He's cleansed the lepers. He's cast out demons. He's raised the dead. He's done all this amazing stuff. Turned water into wine. But no one, no one has ever heard of a man commanding the weather. That's, that's the best way of, of the word when it says that they are marveling. Their minds were exploding because they couldn't get their heads wrapped around what was going on. And notice too that Jesus was never afraid. He's able to sleep through the crisis because to Jesus it wasn't a crisis. Right? I want to get to that point in my walk with Jesus that any crisis that I'm in, I'm going to label not a crisis because Jesus is with me so I can sleep. Right? Yeah. Now, the disciples still might have been feeling a little like they've been stung because they were called sissies. They were called, why are you afraid? Why are you a baby? I don't know how that floats in your house, but don't call me a baby. You know, that's just insult to injury kind of stuff. I can't believe this non-seasoned, non-fisherman isn't scared to death like they were. Now, they're thinking, we're not being irrational. We're not being timid. We're not cowardly. The waves are going to break the boat. Now, you think they were afraid during the storm? After Jesus gets up and he just says, talk to the hand. I know that's my cartoon, talk to the hand. Jesus just gets up and says, be still. In, in, in another passage, it tells us the exact words, the same words he used to cast out a demon. He rebuked the storm. Some theologians actually think that it was a demonic type of storm that Jesus was so sound asleep that Satan was trying to kill him on the, on the water. Jesus gets up and he rebukes the wind. And suddenly it's perfectly calm. That, that, that's, just, that's just freaky. And the text says they marveled. But that refers to that unbelievableness. In Mark, it says, they feared with a great fear. They were afraid of the storm. Now they're really afraid. Who is this that is walking with us? Who is this? The storm is nothing compared to what they started to realize who Jesus was. Now, there's five, five spiritual principles in the text I want to pull out. You, you know them, They're, nothing's going to surprise you, but it's a good refresher to say, I see that, and yes, that's true. Yes, that's right. And you're going to walk away saying, save me, I'm perishing. Save me, I have a trouble in front of me. Help me, Lord, with wisdom. Help me, help me, help me. Here's spiritual principle one. There will be storms in your life that come up unexpectedly. Have you ever heard of helicopter parenting? If you're a helicopter parent, shame on you, don't ever do it. Helicopter parenting means that you hover over your child so they never 
have conflict. They never stub their toe. They never have a problem in their life. They're always hovering over them, orchestrating their lives so that they have no suffering. Do you know God uses suffering all the time? He uses suffering to teach us, to train us, to mold our hearts. When we're told don't run and we fall and we skin our knee, I'm, I'm glad that this knee got skinned. Why? Oh, I shouldn't have done that. Helicopter parenting. Jesus isn't about to be a helicopter parent to you in your spiritual walk. He did not say, come to me and all your troubles go away. He said, you will have trouble in this world, but take heart. I have overcome every trouble there is. I will always be with you. Always. Storms are a part of life. You notice that I started with verse 18. Jesus commanded them to go into the boat. At night. They were obeying. But the storm still came. They were with Jesus. And the storm still came. They were exactly where they were supposed to be. And what? The storm still came. Realize this. You can be obedient and storms will still come. You're with Jesus and you still fall. You're with Jesus and you're smack dab where you're supposed to be and yet you don't get the job. In the middle of God's will, storms still come. Jesus said you're going to have trouble. Don't be afraid. Now, now some people think, oh, I don't have any problems in my life, life, so that means God is just happy with me. If you don't have storms in your life, something's wrong. Chances are something's wrong. Do not think that the absence of storm means that God is happy with you or that, I mean, it, it may be that everything is just going your way and everything is great. Sometimes it's not. Tammy and I, when we moved to Paradise, California to, to plant a church, the very first night we were there, the forest caught on fire. We almost had to evacuate. We had like 350 zillion lightning strikes all around us. Uh, we were engulfed in, in, in flames, so to speak. Oh, the next few days, somebody broke into where we were keeping all of our stuff and stole everything. Not everything, but you know, they, they stole all the important things, you know, things that, are, that, that cannot be replaced. God, we, we have said goodbye to the shampoo career and we're, we're following you and we're smack dab in the middle of your, your will. Why is this happening? Why is our house engulfed in nearly flames? Why are people stealing from us? And believe it or not, where we're living, there were some teenage kids that were growing pot uh, on, on the property. And so I caught them. And you never know when you catch somebody growing pot on your own property, whether they're packing or not. But me being brash and 36, I wasn't going to stand for it. So I got in their face. What the... What are you doing here, you know? But it reminds me that every time I'm in the will of God, it doesn't mean that things go easy. 
Now, sometimes they do. Sometimes things, all, all the dominoes fall, and you go, oh, thank you, Jesus, right? Sometimes the dominoes don't fall because we live in a fallen world, and it's a struggle, it's a strain. It's a strain. Storms can achieve purposes in our lives that we wouldn't get unless we go through them. Let me say that again. That, that's worth writing down, okay? Storms can achieve purposes. Storms can achieve purposes in our lives that we wouldn't get unless we go through them. Storms can achieve purposes in our lives that we wouldn't get unless we go through them. Changes us. Storms have a tendency to, to shape us and change us. Why? Because God causes all things to work together, right? For those who are called according to his purpose. Jonah's storm, not yours, Jonah, but the Jonah in the Bible, his storm brought him back to the Lord. Do you realize that? His storm brought him back to the Lord. Paul's storm shipwrecked him where he got to go and get bit by a viper and not die, but evangelize the entire island. Peter's storm gave him a chance to walk on water. How many of you'd like to have walked on water? Well, that'd be pretty, pretty cool. The storm recorded here gives the disciples a personal experience of the power of God. That's what happens. You get to experience the personal power of God when that mountain is moved and that storm is taken care of, and you turn back and you go, Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. There are going to be storms, and God's going to make good come out of those. But don't think that because somebody's in a storm that God's upset with them. In fact, uh, can you throw the next slide up? Uh, it's it's uh, out of James. It says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet various kinds, uh, meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Maybe if the disciples hadn't have gone through this, they would have never been able to stand up on the day of Pentecost and proclaim that Jesus is the Christ. Because they were shaped by the storm. God will allow you to go through the storm and allow it to shape you. Look at principle number two. Spiritual principle number two. Jesus is with us. And gives us peace. Hallelujah. Even if we're irrational, timid, and cowardly, we can still be filled with peace. In, in Psalms it says that he keeps count of our, tossering, our tossings or our wanderings. And did you know that it says that God puts your tears in a bottle? Now that's figuratively. But what is he saying? Every time that you have been in a trial, a trouble, or a storm, and you're frustrated, he is remembering that. Save me, Jesus, I'm perishing. Philippians 4, we've read it a thousand times, so let's look at it again. It says this. Can you throw that next slide up there, Heather? 
The Lord is at hand. Jesus is in the boat with you. Jesus is in your life now. Jesus is in the car. Jesus is in the decision that you have to make of overcoming the future. Jesus is at your job. Jesus is everywhere in your parenting and your uh, late period of life, early period of life, about to give birth to a child. Jesus is at hand. He's in the boat. So don't be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Brittany, are you a little, uh, a little nervous about this thing coming up in a few weeks? Yeah. Yeah, two, 12 days. I've been corrected. 12 days, hopefully a baby is coming. And you know what? God's, God's going to give you peace. God is there to give you peace. To the... Uh, uh, I'm jumping ahead on my sermon just a little bit, but, but let me say it this way. If you don't have hands of faith, you have nothing to hold your, his peace with. Did you catch that? If you don't have hands of faith, trusting that he is near, that he's with you, it's still, you're still going to have to go through it. There's no way out of it. It's coming. You know that. But you know what? That peace is going to be there for you. Spiritual number, uh, principle number three is this. Faith or trust in Jesus is what calms us in the storms. Faith in Jesus is what calms us in the storms. Faith in Jesus during the storm gives you no fear. You know, storms, uh, however they come, they don't take God by surprise. And in another passage in Mark, it says that when the disciples were waking Jesus up, and I bet you they had to shake him and shake him, they said to him, don't you care about us? Don't you care about us? Psalm 107 says, whether you're in the desert, whether you're in, in prison, you're in an addiction, you're in a desert, you're, you're in a sickness, no matter where you're at in the last image that it says in 107, if you're in a boat and it's sinking, God is there no matter where you're at to rescue you. His steadfast love is there to deliver us. Number four. Number four is this. Sometimes He quiets the storm but he always gives peace. I know that sounds a little, isn't that what you kind of said? No, it's a little different, and here's why. Jesus does not make all your trials and troubles and stormy circumstances go away, but he will always give you the strength and the peace. And so that's where that, that illustration comes in again. By faith, we hold on to his peace. By faith, we grab hold of that strength. Without faith, we, we, we wig out, we panic, we get anxious, we, we, we bite our nails, we have nervous tics, we do stupid things like go and get further in debt when you're already in debt, right? It's like, who in the right world goes and gets further in debt when they're in debt just so that, because it's a nervous habit. Do you know Americans, it's a, it's a nervous habit for us to go shop? Do you see that? I hope you see that. We just, we're nervous and we don't know what to do. We go shop. But here it is. He will always give you peace and strength. 
No faith, no peace. N-O, no faith. N-O, no peace. You've heard it said this way before. K-N-O-W, no faith. You will K-N-O-W, peace. You will know peace. Kind of cool play on words, isn't it? And I have left page five at home. So, sorry about that. Let's look at number five and I'll just kind of wing it. Spiritual principle in the text, Jesus is mighty to save. He is mighty to save. You know a little bit of my history. I came from a divorce situation and and uh, it was tough. I was a, a young 12-year-old, you know, and, and uh, I, I still remember that when I got scared in my life, I always crawled into the, my parents' bed on my father's side and put my head on his pillow. By then, he was already an absent father, He was a distant father. He was having affairs. My mom was trying to hold things together. But even at that tender age, I knew that where I wanted to be was in my father's arms. That's what this message is about today. You will have storms in your life. And the safest place is in your father's arms. And he longs for you to say, Lord, save me. I'm perishing. Let me pray.